Hi, it's Anita Posch from Bitcoin Co, where you can keep up to date with topics related to Bitcoin on a global stage and the local impact it has on communities and regular people. Subscribe to my YouTube channel now to watch interesting interviews with people from the industry and other Bitcoin-related videos. If you prefer to listen to podcasts, you can find all the episodes in your favorite podcast player. And every Friday, I release Anita's Weekly, my newsletter covering the most interesting stories in Bitcoin from my point of view. You can find all the links at anita.link forward slash subscribe. And now, a short word from my sponsors. To be financially independent, it is important to hold your own keys. Use a hardware wallet like the Swiss-made Bitbox O2. I especially like that they have a Bitcoin-only edition and I can use the hardware wallet with my phone. Get 10% off with the coupon ANITA when you buy the Bitbox O2 at anita.link forward slash Bitbox O2. Want to buy and sell your Bitcoin in an easy, fast and secure way? Local Bitcoins is one of the most trusted and the largest peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin trading platforms in the world. Go to localbitcoins.com and trade directly with people like you. This holiday season, turn a no-coiner into a Bitcoiner. I definitely recommend using a hardware wallet to store your Bitcoin. But if you have difficulties with the technical requirements of hardware wallets, you can use the card wallet. Get the special holiday edition at hohohodl.com. Plans for 2021? The Bitcoin 2021 conference will take place in Los Angeles at the end of April. Find out more at b.tc forward slash conference. I'm honored to present two special guests today in my current series about Bitcoin in Africa. Ire Adarinokun and Damilola Odufuwa, co-founders of the Nigerian Feminist Coalition. When you are watching the space in Africa a little bit, then you have heard about the End SARS movement, a decentralized protest movement against police brutality. When the central bank banned the feminist coalition from using the traditional financial infrastructure to receive funding and donations, they started to use Bitcoin. Today, we are talking about their experiences with Bitcoin and the SARS movement in general and the situation for women in Nigeria. Enjoy. So hello, Dami. Hello, Ire. Welcome. And thank you very, very much for doing this interview with me today. I feel honored and humbled that you're here with me. That's great. Before thank we, you. you're welcome. Before we are speaking about the end SARS movement, movement and how Bitcoin has supported your work, please uh, introduce yourself to your, to our listeners and our viewers. What's your background? Um, what are you working on? Maybe if you want to tell us where you are located. Yes. Maybe Dami, you want to start? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having us, Anita. It's honestly a pleasure. Um, so I'm Dami Odufua. Um, I'm a tech professional and a women's rights advocate. So I'm the co-founder, founding member of Feminist Coalition. 
um, which is a group of young Nigerian feminists um, basically championing for change in Nigeria through and focusing on women's issues. Um, I'm also the co-founder of Wine and Wine, which is another women's initiative focused on safe spaces for women and women-only events. Um, and I actually work in the crypto space and I'm the, um, I lead PR for, for a cryptocurrency company in Africa. Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Iri. Uh, thanks for having um, us on this podcast. It's uh, really exciting. So I'm a front-end developer. Um, I'm the co-founder of Bycoins, which is a cryptocurrency exchange based in Nigeria. And um, yeah, that's like my day job, what I do most of the time. I'm also one of the founding members of Feminist Coalition. So that's, I mean, I knew Dami before, but that's like how we work together now. <laughs> okay, yeah. I understand. Yeah. And um, a lot of our listeners have little knowledge about Africa and about uh, Nigeria. Can you please describe the country a little bit for us, the main characteristics, how big it, is it, where is it located, how many people live there? Uh, sure, I'll say a few things. I'm sure Iri will have, have her, hers as well. I mean, well, um, Nigeria is in West Africa. Um, I think it's the most populous, it is the most populous country in Africa with over 200 million people. And a large majority of that are the youth. I'm not quite sure the percentage, but I think it's definitely over 40%. Um, so massive youth population. And a lot of people know Nigeria. Before, it was known for oil, um, but now mainly known for, you know, a lot of um, music, Afrobeats, Afropop culture, fashion, the massive art scene, um, Nollywood, which is quite popular. And for obviously Iri and I working in tech, the tech and fintech industry is growing a lot. And there's a lot of interest in that. Um, yeah, I mean, Iri, anything to add? Yeah, I think that those are the main things. Most people might know us for like WizKid or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or uh, David Doe or Burna Boy, things like that. So I think our music is um, pretty popular. And yeah, the tech scene, particularly in Lagos, has really blown up over, I don't know, mm -hmm. like the past five, ten years. Five years, And um, yeah. I think... Yeah, there was a time when Mark Zuckerberg came. So it was like a really big deal. He invested in one of um, the companies there. So, yeah, I think uh, that's like what we're known for now. And Jack Dorsey came as well, like last year, the CEO. Yeah, of Twitter. Exactly. So a lot of people come, obviously <laughs> yeah. other celebrities. Um, but beyond the fun stuff, I mean, we do have a lot of, like most countries, a lot of issues. I mean, for me and areas feminist, you know, a lot of the issues around women's rights and gender equality. There's a massive like respect culture where, you know, your age and, and if you're a man, you're treated as, you know, better than. Um, I mean, up to now, I don't think we've passed a gender equality bill in Nigeria um, and our representation of women in, you know, public office and, you know, boards of, of companies isn't that great, isn't that high. And these are things that obviously Iri and I are passionate about. And One of the big things has been um, increases in gender-based violence in Nigeria during the year. I think a lot of countries experienced that during COVID, but a lot in Nigeria as well. Um, yes, yeah. we also we also have uh, growing numbers of violence against women here in Austria and in Europe because families mm -hmm. uh, stick together. They can't go outside. We have a lockdown uh, now again here in Austria. Wow. So all the aggressions and everything, um, yeah, is, is fought out in the family. And, uh, yeah, I mean, as always, the women and the children are the, the ones that are, um, yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a really a big problem. And um, so I guess also you have a great wealth inequality um, uh, yeah. in, in the local groups of people, but also between men and women. Can you talk a little bit, little bit about that, please? Um, oh, absolutely. I think across the world, wealth inequality is a big issue and definitely in a culture that is patriarchal, where, you know, certain religions or certain tribes see men as, you know, above. And so in terms of education, access to um, property, you know, some, some, some communities don't respect the idea of giving that to women. So of course, I mean, property is one way that people amass wealth. So that's a big problem. Um, access to jobs and opportunities when you don't put women in certain positions, you know, automatically there's a pay, there's a pay gap as well. And that's a big problem. There's a, there's a pay gap in Nigeria in general, like you said, across class and across education backgrounds, but definitely for women. And then when you add all those intersections um, for women, it gets, it gets much worse. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ira, do you have? Yeah, there's um, definitely a huge gap. And particularly in class, I think we're only really only beginning to have a middle class. I would say that even the middle class is not even a real middle class. There's still just the, Um, 1% that's our upper class. And then the vast majority of people are still living in um, in poverty, really. So that's a huge issue that we're dealing with. And I guess it's an informal uh, a job world. So people don't have a job in that way. They just hustle every day and try to stay alive. Yeah, that's actually a big thing because a lot of people talk about unemployment, but I know a big problem across Africa and Nigeria is underemployment. So you always have to have so many jobs and side hustles um, exactly. to make to basically barely um, survive. Because when you think of our currency and how bad it is, um, you're barely earning and issues like inflation. And because we import a lot, like you're just never, you know, your standard of living is weirdly decreasing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And the vast, vast majority of people are just living paycheck to paycheck. And that's why something like COVID was such a huge deal because yes. saying you can't go to work for even like a week is devastating for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, is the situation now a little bit better again with COVID or how is it at the moment? <laughs> It's almost like there's I mean, no COVID. <laughs> no, you, okay. Yeah, it's not funny. <laughs> no, it's sad, but we tend to laugh when things are bad because they're bad. Okay, but so you were saying great about COVID. No, I was just saying that um, unlike places in Europe and like I'm in London right now, we're in another lockdown. Um, it's not really the same as much in Nigeria. And I think it is... Um, a large part to do with people recognizing that you can't actually say people need to stay at home because people will die. But I think we, I don't know whether it's luck, but um, I think the population in general hasn't been as devastated by COVID as other places. So people have been able to go out and um, it hasn't been as bad as here or the rest of Europe. Yeah, absolutely. I think it hasn't spread as intensely as Europe or even like South Africa. I know South Africa had it really bad earlier in the year. Um, in Nigeria, there's definitely the vibe of, yeah, there's COVID, but um, people are still out. And like Ire said, um, one thing I realized during our in our lockdown in, in Lagos, I'm, I'm usually based in Nigeria, um, was a lot of people were like, I would rather die from COVID than die of hunger. And that really put things into perspective for a lot of people that there's a lot of poverty 
And sometimes for the for a poor person, it's like I would rather be able to be outside and risk catching this disease than not have any food for my family. Yeah, yeah. and this uh, makes the complete situation even more tense. I mean, people are in poverty. Uh, there is high inflation. You can't save money, and then you also have on top of that this uh, this pandemic and this crisis. So. Um, Then I, I I have heard about that or read, or that's also a reason I think why the Nigerian feminist, uh, uh, how do you call it, uh, association or no, feminist coalition, coalition. is <laughs> in existence. Um, you also have problems with uh, human rights. So um, you basically don't have the same human rights as we do in Europe. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, and yeah, so the Feminist Coalition, affectionately called FEMCO. Uh, <laughs> um, so we were formed in July 2020. Myself and Oduna Weni, who's a co-founder of mine and at Wine and Wine, were really looking at Nigeria and the state of the country. And we've always been involved, even women like Ire have always been involved in um, raising awareness for women's issues. I know Ire has raised a lot of money towards women's education. Um And we were just quite frustrated with the state of the country. And so we approached um, Ire and, and, and 11 other women, I think 12, I always get the numbers wrong, and wanted to focus on certain big issues affecting women in the country. We always feel like women are the worst affected. So even in situations that we have now around police brutality, we knew that women would be the worst affected. And so we formed this coalition even before what, what's been happening now. We formed it in July And our mission was to champion equality for women in Nigerian society and focusing on women's education, uh, women's financial freedom, um, and women's um, representation in public office. And the reason why we focused on that is, well, money. We just already discussed, you know, the wealth inequality. And for things to really change, women have to be able to, money is power across the world, but specifically in Africa, women need to have a voice and a seat at the table when it comes to financial conversations. And education is a big part of that. Um, and also like women's rights and safety, and this goes into humans, right, human rights. We've talked about gender-based violence and rape is a, we have a massive rape culture in Nigeria. Oh. And what we're seeing is our laws aren't, well, our lawmakers and our laws aren't really, able to protect us. I know that recently there was a sex offenders list put together in the last few years. We didn't have that before. Uh, we're seeing a rise in people reporting rape cases because conversations are being had. But the point is there haven't been many rape cases that have gone to court that have actually led to, you know, people being arre well arrested or, or um, what's the word? Like basically being prosecuted. Um, prosecuted thank yeah. you <laughs> um and so we wanted to see you know we just have a vision for nigeria where you know people are equal in our laws and in everyday life all people but specifically we are focused on women um so when it comes to human rights abuses we've seen in the past few years like there was i think it was last year Ira, the raid on women in, Ab in abuja by officers um, mm, I think yeah. there was you remember the Abuja raid yeah like I think it was last year or two years ago but a group of women were rounded up and basically being accused of call, uh, calling them prostitutes and they were arrested by officers and some have alleged that they were actually raped um, while being arrested you know in in the mm -hmm. yeah that's in jail or whatever yeah. mm. so we have a lot of issues like that around women's safety and women's rights yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just countless issues. And I think um, 
the law just doesn't really protect women in general. I think even there's no such thing as like marital rape, for example. It's not something that you can legally like say, oh, my husband raped me. Just basic things like that. If the law says what you are experiencing doesn't even exist, then you can't get any justice. Hmm. And those are the things we'd like to see. Like if, when can we get the idea of marital rape being considered as rape? When is that going to be reflected in our laws? Mm-hmm. I can remember that we in Austria, we, there was also a discussion about that. It's not that long ago, you know. Mm-hmm. So it also took here quite a time uh, until that was made a law. I have another question. I mean, I've been to South Africa 10 years ago and I came to notice that there is a practice called correctional rape. So that's um, lesbian people, lesbian women are raped to be uh, um, straight again. Uh, okay, I see you never heard of that. So okay, I mean, so, I'm not super, super surprised, but it's awful. Yeah, it's yeah com- exactly. It's, com- it's shocking, and it's- I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if that was happening exactly. in Nigeria as well. <laughs> that's exactly. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how is the situation uh, towards gay and, and lesbian and queer people? I mean, being gay or I don't know how they phrased it in the Bill Gay Acts or something is considered illegal. And I think you get maybe, oh. is it like 11 years or something in jail if you are caught in? If you, yeah, I think yeah. It's for, mm-hmm. for um, gay marriage, and I don't know if it's um, sexual acts among um, pe- people in the LGBTQ community. I actually don't know the law off the top of my head, but yes, I know there is um 11 year sentence for, I think it's marriage, or if you're seen as like supporting maybe mm-hmm. publicly. I'm not 100% sure. The, that's the thing like, as well. Laws can be so confusing in Nigeria because there's a law. And then there's like punishment for things that are not even really in the law. And then they kind of make it seem like that's part of the law. So it just seems like there's Mm. this basic thing of like, you know, anything gay is wrong. Um, And it's really sad because it actually cuts across the law. It also is in people's views in terms of morals and religion and society structure. So you have a lot of people who say that they have nothing against gay people, but they just don't think that they their rights are they should have the same rights so they don't think exactly. it's as bad to, for them to be arrested so there's a lot of a lot of um prejudice for sure and a lot of bigotry the thing is people not realizing that it's harmful they just think that oh it's an opinion to say i don't like gay people or i don't like seeing uh with gay people kissing or being affectionate and these are problems that we have i mean i read a study in tears and they were saying that the attitude is improving so like you know there's there increases in the percentage of people who are okay with people being gay but it's definitely not up to like 50 percent of the population yeah definitely not and I think a lot of it is also tied to religion and Mm -hmm. people saying okay it's bad because it's um, wrong in the eyes of God and it's very hard to argue against that obviously because if they say it's just wrong because of God then you can't really say you can't really have a conversation yeah i mean belief is very difficult to uh undo in a way yeah Mm. so yeah i would be in a way illegal in your country (laughs) so yeah and i also laugh because i think it's not funny um so yeah um can you please tell us a little bit about the story now um what's the ansars movement and how did it develop and why 
Um, so the NSARS movement has been ongoing for a couple of years. Um, I'm not sure when it started. I know there was an Amnesty International tweet about how every year they say SARS will be reformed or disbanded, but SARS is a special anti-robbery squad, um, a unit of the police, and they were initially set up to, I think, tackle high levels of crime and armed robbery in the country. But what people have seen is that those people that were meant to protect us are now the ones robbing, raping, killing, kidnapping, blackmailing us and many other awful offenses. And so there are many people who are victims of this. A lot of people that we know who have been stopped and exploited, um, you know, taken to cash machines with guns to their heads, you know, asked for money. And obviously for us as women, we know that anytime there is any violence, it always turns into sexual violence as well. Um, members of the LGBTQ community have also complained about that because, you know, you think about the intersections of profiling. They profile men, they profile single women and call them prostitutes. You know, men are seen as um, what we call Yahoo boys, fraudulent people. Um, the LGBT community, they just think that you're wrong. So they don't have a reason. <laughs> Um, and there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of violence so I think like Ire has mentioned to me as well the SARS was reorganized in 2017 overhauled disbanded in 2019 or I think it was this year so this this movement has been going on the end SARS movement which is it started I think on social media from what we I know um, and it was basically just calling for an end to police brutality um, that and, and like a reform to the SARS units, well, disbandment of the SARS unit reforms to overall policing because it's not even just the SARS officers that commit acts of police brutality. It's the whole force. And just, you know, generally letting people live. What people are asking for is, can I live? Can you not kill me for exactly. basically existing? Oh, yeah. That's my and, summary. Yeah. And um, even though it's like called NSARS, as Dami said, it's more just about police brutality as a whole. And because we were using the hashtags and SARS. They thought that they can stop us by quote unquote disbanding SARS yet again, but they essentially just reorganized and reorganized. put the same. Then they now brought out like a SWAT team. I can't remember what that stands for, but um, yeah. it's basically just the same thing over and over again. And it's basically, as Dami mentioned, about the systemic issues with the police force as a whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the whole movement is decentralized. So people organize themselves uh, wherever they are over social media. Or how does this work? Um, so I actually don't know how others are organizing, but from what okay. I've seen, yes, it's like, I mean, I can only speak for us and yes. Femco's involvement at the time. But, you know, from what, what we saw before. So as I said, the Feminist Coalition was formed in July, separately for women's issues, you know, all, all women. And as we were watching what was happening on social media in 2020 and, you know, Iri and I obviously being quite social, like being active on social, we had seen the movement in previous years where they had said, oh, they'll disband or reform, whatever. And there were many videos. And that's what I love about this age of social media. By the way, there's a social media bill that they're trying to pass to restrict mm -hmm. people's access to social media, which is a big problem. Mm -hmm. um, but this movement really took, took, took steam on, on social media with people sharing videos of instances where police officers were harassing them, um, violent towards them. What caught our attention um, was a woman who um, was shot in the face allegedly by a police officer. Um, I think because she turned him down. And a bunch of people on social media were raising money um, for her. And this is something that happens all the time. 
good people, um, feminists, always raise money on social media to support others. Earlier in the year, we had raised it for women who had been um, victims of sexual violence. We raised it for children who had been victims of sexual violence. We raised money for education. So this is something that happens on social media a lot. And seeing this movement and seeing people just individually step up was really inspiring for us. And having just thinking as a group, I remember one of um, our co-founders had said to us that if we don't step up, women will be the worst affected. Because initially we were like, oh, this is really bad. How can we support like everybody is supporting? There's no leader of this movement. There is no one person. There's no Martin Luther King of this particular movement. Everybody is kind of involved. Um, and for once, I felt like Nigerians were really coming together and united on this issue, even though in you know, we were all working individually, obviously for Feminist Coalition, you know, together we said, you know, women are the worst affected. We need to step up and see how we can support. And I'll let Iri explain the rest because Iri is a big part of the the organizing and how we got involved. <laughs> yeah, it's just, um, I think everyone just, like as Demi said, individually recognized that this is an issue. And I think because this is something that's literally everybody has a story about how this has affected them or somebody they knew. Like even my mom, I remember told me a story about how like one of her disgruntled past employees actually brought SARS officers to her office. And luckily she wasn't there, but they literally came with guns and they were ready to, I guess, shoot her or do something like that. And it's just everybody individually can resonate with this. And so everybody individually was able to step up and say, how am I going to help in X or Y way? So we just decided to, I guess, start fundraising through social media the way, like Tammy mentioned, that we had been doing for a while now. And um, yeah, everyone just stepped up. We used things like Flutterwave in the beginning, and then we transition to Bitcoin, which I guess we can talk about um, after this. But yeah, it was just completely decentralized. And I think that really helped us, mainly because the government will try to say, okay, this is the leader. And if they can infiltrate that leader, they think that they can stop the movement. But I think we all knew that it's better to not have that leader because no matter what, if if they try and take one person down, then the rest of us are still here. Mm -hmm. And are you scared? I mean, it it must be <laughs> scary if you live in Nigeria and go out every day and also you work uh, with or for the uh, FEMCO How is that? It's absolutely yeah. scary. Um, <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. But even before, even before the NSARS movement, Niger living in Nigeria can be scary. And this is why people all stepped up. Like, you don't feel safe. You know, you're worried about being robbed by actual robbers, but you're also worried about being harassed by police officers. You're worried that, you know, as a woman... Um, being harassed by other men and nothing being done, no one being brought to justice. You're constantly just concerned. Then you're worried about COVID. Then you're worried about, you know, um, food inflation. Like we said, inflation is really high or being able to afford things because the currency is so bad and it's constant devaluation. You're always afraid. But now with everything happening, I mean, there've been so many reports that have come out around, you know, what happened in Lekki, the Lekki massacre, which happened on 20th of October, where um, peaceful protesters were shot. Um, and that really changed things for everyone. Even before that, to be honest, for us, even though, I don't know if you, how much you know about our story, but 
the night that we decided to help, uh, I think it was October 9th, and maybe I'll give you a bit, a bit of a backstory to explain our fear a bit more. Um, we actually didn't put our names out there initially um, for two reasons. One, initially as a coalition, we weren't going to, and also because, I mean, we're using the word feminist, and feminist in Nigeria is sometimes seen, I mean, somebody had called us earlier in the year a coven of witches. I mean, you know how feminists are perceived. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> A lot of us as well who are on social do get a lot of backlash, some more than others, just for being women who speak out. So there's already that fear of bigotry and misogynoir um, against women. And, you know, Ire actually was the one who designed our logo, um, which obviously has a female symbol and the solidarity sign. And when we started, you know, crowds, um, funding on, crowdsourcing on social media for funds, what was our, our main concern was people being safe. Um, like I said, already we don't feel safe in Nigeria. Then you go out to protest against police brutality. And we were seeing videos of people being shot, brutalized by officers or an allegedly hoodlums, right? And we knew that for this protest to have effect, we needed it needed to be peaceful. Because once you once violence enters a protest, which obviously eventually did, obviously to no fault of anyone, but um you you can't really get your point across and then the narrative changes into always oh, violence so we had to clamp down on that and i'm sure from what everyone around the world saw um when we organized and as a group we're very organized girls when we when we organized we were like you know what we want to make sure that we're funding things like masks there's a pandemic um food water because when you're at a protest it's it's really hard you know standing for hours you know speaking out um Things like places in Abuja where they were being tear gassed. So we were funding like, you know, medical aid, first aid kits, you know, just to keep people safe. The well-being of the nation has always been our interest because, like we said, we never felt safe before. And then now you're speaking out against a very powerful unit. You know, how do we keep each other safe? So safety has always been our issue. Now, post the violence, um, during the massacre and also the introduction of hoodlums and sponsored thugs, we told people, you know what, stay home, be safe, because it's no longer safe. For us individually and feminist coalition, for me, honestly, it's quite shocking that asking to not be killed is seen, like human rights are seen as political. It's shocking to me that people protesting and saying, hey, can you please not kill us nicely? We're actually saying this nicely is seen as disrespect or inciting violence and that puts a lot of fear in me because it's kind of like if you consider this you know um negative what's next how are you going to punish us and that's what we're seeing in nigeria like a punishing culture um there's a lot of fear around that like are we going back into are we still a, you know obviously a democracy um yeah mm. Yuri, do you want to say add something yeah it's just been um very scary in general and just kind of seeing how things have escalated because like we said all we were doing was just trying to organize peaceful protests to just try to show that yes we are displeased with this thing and this thing that we didn't think was even deniable because like I said literally everybody has a story whether something happened to you or something happened to your family member everybody has an experience so it's not like we felt we were doing anything particularly crazy even the day that we as femco decided okay we're going to start funding things we weren't thinking it would ever end the way it has i mean maybe it's not ended but it, it the where we've gotten to so it's definitely just very scary to realize that maybe we're not actually in the country that we thought we were in because 
I was always kind of hopeful that, you know, we can protest and maybe there will be some sort of response or some sort of acknowledgement, but it was just completely the opposite. And I think it was very eye-opening to understand that uh, just because, oh, maybe we're like young or on social media, we feel like things are changing or progressing Mm -hmm. and this kind of situation just makes you realize that you're we're not really what we thought we were Mm -hmm. can I just add that also like protesting in most countries and in Nigeria's constitution is one of your rights it's like you're exercising your rights it's it's in nowhere in the world well I don't know but in Nigeria like the right to peacefully assembly is one of your constitutional rights so Nobody in my group, um, and as many that I knew, broke any laws. So it's it's just really confusing, mm. and it's traumatizing too, I guess. Yeah. And um, do you think is this a generation generational thing also? I mean, the youth population and the older ones who are in power. Um, yes and no. So in terms of generational, like as Ire said. Um, even using the example of her mom, many people, so this issue of police brutality has been happening for as long as, I mean, a lot of us know, I have siblings that are in their forties that have friends who've experienced this. Um, People much older than that have experienced this. And initially it was just the youth speaking out because obviously the youth are more active on social. What we actually saw was a lot of, um, well-meaning older Nigerians also speaking out um, against police brutality, against many things, bad governance and whatever aggravations that they felt. Um, So we got that involvement. In terms of, you know, the older leaders and the young people, I do think it's a thing in Nigeria where, and I I think it cuts across not just governments, I think it cuts across education. It's just a power thing. People in power who tend to be older tend to ignore the voices of the youth and just assume that you don't have as much experience to be talking. And I think a lot of people find it disrespectful when the youth say, actually, I can respect you, but you don't you don't get to disrespect me. But respect goes both ways, regardless of age, gender, class, sexual orientation. And that's what the youth were asking for. Um, I don't know why that's so hard for people in power to understand I guess they see any advancement in your human rights being as you taking away theirs um so I don't know if it's just a generational thing I think it's a power thing Hmm. yeah and um to some extent I think at least the well-meaning older generation I feel like they have kind of lived through a completely different Nigeria so they they didn't even really think this what we did was possible even though we sort of feel like okay we did what we did and we didn't necessarily get the outcome that we got I think a lot of the older generation or people who didn't think that even peacefully protesting for a week was even possible are Mm -hmm. kind of inspired by that and they're starting to realize that oh actually like we can do some of this Mm -hmm. and um, I mean what is going on now? Are, are there new demonstrations coming up or just keeping quiet at the moment? Um, well, for the Feminist Coalition, we're no longer, um, we put out a statement on the 22nd of October just saying that, you know, we were dispersing the rest of the funds towards, you know, a, a fund for victims of police brutality, medical aid, legal aid, and that we would no longer be raising funds in general for the NSARS movement because we're going to focus on um, women's issues, but it for the whole country, it's impossible to deny that this, you know, people are still talking about 
um, NSAs. We as a group were not um, as feminist coalition, but there are other people and we never had power. Like we said, it's decentralized. Everyone is going to do what they want to do. Um, other people have tried. And I think a lot of people are moving into online protesting and online conversations around, around the movements and also around the issues that we have in Nigeria, which again, go beyond just NSAs. Now there are cases of, you know, bank accounts being restricted, people's passports being seized, you know, alleged no-fly lists, you know, um, silly lawsuits, just other things to to harass and intimidate people. Um, And now people are just, everyone's eyes are open and everybody's aware of it. So there is this form of kind of um, individual protest of like, no, I'm not going to be bullied. I'm going to still speak out, but maybe not on the streets. Um, There's this belief of, okay, banks are closing people's accounts. Oh, I'm going to take my money out of that bank. Um, people are basically trying to hold on to any form of, um, I guess, their own individual power as much as they can. Yeah. Yeah, I think everyone has just, um, like Dami said, our eyes are open now. We are now aware that we actually do have the power to do something. And although we've all recognized that trying to go through like the peaceful protest route is probably not the best because it's going to turn into violence (laughs) so we are definitely like taking it online and I think we've also realized that it's more of a long game and we're not necessarily going to get what we want now but we are now more aware that things like you know voting everyone is now well aware that they need to get their voters card and things like that just being more involved and seeing what we can do um, is what people are now trying to focus on. And I think what's been really powerful um, for us is after we said, okay, we're moving or going back to focus on women's rights. And now we're working on our individual projects around women. um, We saw other organizations come up and other young people saying, okay, I want to do something. That for me was probably the biggest win. It made people realize I can actually do something that if if this group of women could do so much in two weeks, um, what can I do? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Super. So you ignited uh, a little thing. So new movement. Yeah. yeah. Great. And now let's talk a little bit about uh, the way you've uh, facilitated or used Bitcoin uh, for your payments. You just mentioned that uh, bank accounts are frozen by the government, so um, that people cannot uh, get or use money anymore. Can you tell us a little bit about? I think that also happened to you, or did it? So why did you start using Bitcoin? Okay, so to clarify, so it's actually, I guess it's still the government, but the central bank has frozen the accounts of, I think, 20 um, NSARS protesters is what they called it. Um, Not everyone's accounts, um, not our personal accounts, uh, mine or Iri's. But in the beginning, as Iri mentioned, we were... Um, asking for donations through Flutterwave. I think anyway, Flutterwave is a payment platform, yeah. right? It's sort of so like, like Stripe, I guess. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or PayPal or something. And, yeah. And yeah, so we could get donations in Naira, CDs, dollars, pounds, and the rest. Um, and then we also had a bank account, a regular Nigerian bank account. And I think it was the 13th. I don't know how I remember this, but I think it was the 13th I was of October. Say. <laughs> I also think because I'm always like, I don't know, my I have a was it a visual memory? Uh, I remember uh, numbers and dates not more so than anything else. Um, yeah. And I think it was the 13th of October. We noticed that we couldn't really access um, people weren't. I think they weren't able to donate mm-hmm. anymore. There were basically just restrictions on our accounts um, for a while. Our Flutterwave just stopped working. 
Um, I think this lasted for, I don't know if it was under a day, but basically never came back up actually. Our Flutterwave yeah. account never came back up. Um, our bank account was on and off and essentially just eventually everything was just restricted. We don't know by who. <laughs> we don't have a person to point at, but I guess anybody can can make an informed decision <laughs> about who, who would do that. Um, and a lot of us um, in the group have knowledge we either we work in tech fintech or just have knowledge about you know other forms of of money and and cryptocurrencies are, are a big one even in nigeria like crypto crypto searching searches are really high in nigeria a lot of people are interested in bitcoin right um so we as a group decided to try and fundraise via bitcoin um because if our accounts are being restricted there has to be another platform and so that's what we did. And eventually, we initially used a few things. We had like a BTC address, but we ultimately decided on using a BTC pay server because it's, you know, open source and it's uh, censorship resistant and private enough so that people who are, you know, donating don't really, like, you know, you can protect um, the identities, I guess, of people. Um, just so that people wouldn't be targeted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my yeah. quick summary. And <laughs> it turned out to actually be better in the long run to use like the BCC pay server because when we wanted to stop, we could actually take it down. But what I've yes. realized is that like till today, sometimes we just get like a trickle fr- to that BTC address that we put out because you can't stop people from just sending random Bitcoin to the address, right? And um, it was also just easier to use for people who don't really know much about Bitcoin. Like we ended up having to put out a lot of guides of like, okay, this is how you get a Bitcoin wallet. This is how you buy stuff. And it was easier to have something that looked like a payment processor than just sending you like a random characters. And people would be like, what, what is, what this, is this that you just sent me? <laughs> like, so um, yeah, that was a really, um, really nice and like, I guess, streamlined way of just like accepting donations. Cause it kind of looks like, I don't know, Stripe or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you get a different wallet address each time and yeah. Yeah. yeah which it's is a lot good more for, simple. Which is good for privacy too. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, when I hear that, uh, I'm, I'm excited because you also did Bitcoin education in your country then and for all the people who wanted to donate. So well done. <laughs> and um, so is this, uh, do you still have the BTC pay server running? Where can people donate? Yeah. No, no donations anymore. Because no I could donations imagine, anymore. I could imagine that some of my listeners would donate something like Lightning. Honestly, or, it actually got very overwhelming as well. I can't lie. Like it was a lot to <laughs> yeah. do with. You have to remember that we were doing this with full-time jobs and some of us, some of the women have kids. Like it was a crazy two weeks. I feel like we were getting yeah. three hours of sleep a night. Um, yeah. And just because we are no longer, since we are no longer, I guess, actively involved in funding medical aid, legal aid and food for the NSAS peaceful protesters, it just made sense to halt it because of accountability. We just never want to be seen as, you know, having other intentions, especially in a country like Nigeria, where everyone is, you know, there's a lot of assumptions around corruption and and, um, fraud, and we just never want to be involved in that. And we, when we are ready to announce our new projects around women, we'll be able to share that on our, on our social media. Okay. Yeah. And the, um, tell me. (laughs) Yeah. And the whole accountability thing was a huge thing for us because so many people had never just seen us or, a group in Nigeria 
when you're accepting donations say this is how much we had this is how much we spent this is how much we have left and so many people that's like didn't even know of like my involvement in it or just random aunties and uncles and stuff they always say oh i know femco those are the people that do the daily summary at the end of the day they tell us how much we have and everything so that was definitely like a huge thing that um we've kind of like shown people i guess and we've also seen other people start to do similar things Yeah, I've seen that in so many group chats I'm in where people say, "Okay, today we've raised this and we spent yeah. this and it's it's really heartwarming to see like people be inspired by little things that we consider little, um accountability, organizing, mm-hmm. strategy." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, great for transparency. Bitcoin is yes. a great tool also for auditability, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, cool. And um what's the what's the general uh what are the general use cases like in Nigeria? Uh, I mean, you have a lot of inflation as far as I know. Do people in general adapt adopt to Bitcoin and use Bitcoin more and more? Do you see that? Um so this is funny enough a conversation Arian and I have had um recently like she said she works for a cryptocurrency exchange. I do as well and earlier in the year and actually my knowledge of crypto came like I only discovered crypto maybe a year and a half ago and really actively got involved about a year ago with through work and education ed- educating others um and initially before whenever I mentioned crypto or bitcoin people just thought oh scam 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 <laughs> and I guess that's because I mean a few things that happened in Africa around a few like pyramid schemes and yeah. trying to get people to understand <laughs> pir- like People can scam you with regular money. People can be fraudulent with anything. It's not particularly like Bitcoin or crypto that's the problem. Um and honestly as sad as it is COVID did help I think crypto adoption in many countries and specifically Nigeria because as um it got harder and harder for people to bring things in or send things out um remittances is actually a big use case for crypto in general but also in nigeria because a lot of people in the diaspora want to send money um and also cross border payments a lot of people are importers exporters bringing goods in from china or from the us and when you have um a currency like naira which is very temperamental <laughs> and you know what we noticed was that you know for example before the lockdown and before covid i think the lockdown in nigeria was march i think a, a dollar was 360 naira i remember that like by april it was a dollar was 450 naira around that that is a massive jump and i remember in 2015 i think before i i around 2015 i think it was a dollar was 180 naira So just thinking about wow. the massive jump. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of the use cases are around hedging against further um devaluation, hedging against inflation, um remittance, cross-border payments. And obviously as a way of investing, like a lot of Nigerians and I think many people around the world do like dollar investments, so investing in a stable currency, and then now you see people investing in stable coins or or buying bitcoin to hold, huddle, um and things like that just because basically naira is in the most secure and every day you get poorer and poorer when you hold naira um i can't think of yeah oh, another obviously use case is if your bank account <laughs> gets frozen <laughs> exactly <laughs> um but yeah and that is something main... a lot of people said during the um protest and when we're starting to see oh flutter wave is down bank account is down we're just like yeah this is the real 
use case because especially myself and my co-founders we had previously spoken about how okay bitcoin is really good because you know your government might shut you down and things like that but before it was all sort of theoretical and it was only within like the last Mm -hmm. month they were like oh we're actually living through this this all this stuff that we've been saying is actually true (laughs) and yeah we should actually be putting up a lot of our money or at least enough that you can um, survive or something in something like this where you can control it. And um, a lot of other people have said, oh, okay, now I'm going to try and learn how to use Bitcoin or at least understand what it is so that you can decide how you're going to um, be involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of course, crypto trading was a big, I think during the lockdown, people had a lot of time Mm -hmm. and were like, okay, let me learn this crypto trading thing and have a secondary source of income because I don't earn a lot with my regular job. Mm-hmm. That that goes good along with uh, a survey that has been done by local bitcoins in uh, Nigeria. Also, its users say that thirty five percent of them use Bitcoin for trading. Yeah, and and thirty uh, percent for long term saving, eighteen percent to learn, and four percent use it for remittances. Yeah, so that's basically what you say too. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, As as a feminist coalition and uh, when you try to empower women, I guess Bitcoin is also a topic, is it? I mean, it enables women to save or have their own account in a way. Yeah, um, actually, I was saying this to Ire. Um, One of her co-founders, Timia Jiboye, has a book called Little Bitcoin Book. And in there, so that was my like crypto introduction. That's the Little Um, Bitcoin Book, the... The, yeah. the 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 comic with the paintings or is there's, it a different yeah there's some no. comics in it yes there's some comics exactly oh no the little um, bitcoin book is from uh, alina satoshi and jimmy song and people huh? there's a bunch of people yeah, yeah so, and, and oh, one of one. them yep. is yeah and okay. when i was like interested in crypto and just curious about it um he kind of told me about the book and i read it and for me what as a as a women's rights advocate what i loved was oh wow i can see how this can help human rights. I can see how I can help women. I can see how people who are usually excluded from um, banking or financial services can get the support. And one of the stories was about an Afghan organization um, that basically was able to pay women in crypto because they, I think they, I don't know if, what the law is in Afghanistan, but I think some women can't have access to accounts or whatever. And it was just a really interesting use case. I think the lady's name was uh, Roya Maboob. Um, but she basically paid her her stuff in in Bitcoin. And I found that so interesting. And beyond that, after that, and after learning about Bitcoin and social justice and Bitcoin and human rights, um, and obviously working in the industry, um, I also have Wine and Wine. And we eventually had a crypto event um, for about 100 plus women, just telling them the basics. And Iri actually was one of the speakers. Um, and I just noticed that I just think crypto has a lot, a lot, a lot of benefits for women and for marginalized communities, because we keep talking about women and marginalized communities getting some power and money obviously is power. And a great way to start is cryptocurrencies, um, investing, saving, having your own money and controlling it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And even in Nigeria, although women can go and open a bank account, like there's no legal barrier to that there is sometimes like a cultural thing in that um, your husband might not allow you to go and get like a bank account so having using crypto could just be a way to you know own your own money and being able to keep it 
I guess, private or secure from other people knowing about it as well. Exactly. Like financial freedom for real. Yeah. Yeah. And do people also trade in private WhatsApp groups and Facebook groups or, I mean, like really peer to peer? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> definitely. Irene, you can, because I think Bycoins has a peer to peer function, right? Um, yeah, we do. And um, this was actually one of the um, reasons we created Bycoins because we saw that so many people were doing things like using WhatsApp, right? And we we're like, this is not, this can't be the only way for you to get Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And that's why we wanted to create like this more sort of Coinbase like experience. And um, peer to peer is also part of our our um, products and we find that people do still like to use it and um, we have like a telegram bot and stuff but yeah there are still some people who just have like group chats where they'll just say oh I want to buy x for y and another person reply and then you have to like send it to the person and hope that they will actually send you your money <laughs> so that stuff still happens yeah. yeah and I mean I um so with me running PR for Binance across Africa Binance is has peer-to-peer -peer functions and the sites for I think we're in Kenya, South Africa, Nigeria, and a few other places. And then definitely, yeah, like making sure that it's secure and, you know, all of that. So I, I definitely see a lot of interest in peer-to-peer -peer across the region. Mm -hmm. Another question I'd like to ask, how's the internet connectivity and the price in your country? Because I know from Zimbabwe, people buy internet bundles. So for instance, they can only use WhatsApp, but nothing, not the internet. Thankfully, we're not there yet in Nigeria. Um, hopefully, we'll never get to the point where they restrict um, platforms. So um, people, we definitely have internet bundles. And I actually think internet in Nigeria is a bit pricey because when I, when I lived in the UK, I mean, the amount I would spend to get like access to unlimited internet was great compared to Nigeria where you buy data and like recharge cards or bundles or you have like little MiFi is what we call them and then you buy like let's say 40 gig data for like 20,000 naira. Can't, I don't know what that is in dollars right now. Um, you have that but right now there are no restrictions on WhatsApp or Facebook or Instagram currently. Um, hopefully that won't, I think that's part of, I don't know what exactly the social media bill says about that but I know they definitely don't like Twitter. So, yeah. so I think that's what they're, they're concerned about, but there are no restrictions as of yet. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I meant from, it was, yeah, they also have restrictions on social media. That's true. I meant from the price, they, they have internet bundles and people can only afford to buy a WhatsApp bundle, for instance, which is a problem mm. because they can't right. install, install a non-custodial custodial wallet then wallet. on their phone. Yeah. So. I don't think we have that. I'm irritated. Yeah, I'm not really aware of that. Um, but I, I just know stuff. sites like Facebook have their... Free data. Um, yeah, exactly. So I don't know if that's like relevant or that comes into it. But I personally have, haven't heard of anyone buying just like a oh, Facebook-only bundle or something like that. Okay. Same, I haven't heard that. Okay. So... Um, What's the lookout for the future in your opinion on the one hand? Uh, I mean, we talked about the plans or not plans for the feminist coalition, but also in terms of cryptocurrency adoption and Bitcoin, what do you think uh, will come? I mean, the price is rising at the moment. Um, I guess also in your country, people are like, whoa, I want to get in. I want to use it. Um, yeah. Is it the same? 
Absolutely. Like um, a lot of people are like this, this Bitcoin thing had, I actually got a message from an aunt today saying, hi, my friend wants to buy Bitcoin. How does he do it? (laughs) Um, So there are definitely a lot of people very interested. Like I said, the the perception of crypto has changed. I'm so happy. I don't see conversations about, oh, crypto itself is a scam. Obviously you have scammers um, and, you know, different issues, but now people are understanding uh, the power and the use cases. So I think, what we're going to see next year is definitely more crypto adoption. A lot of older people getting interested, a lot of younger people starting to look into it, whether it's just to hold. Um, that's what I, I, I see. Ire, what, what are your thoughts? Then? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we haven't heard the whole like, oh, MMM thing, <laughs> which is like the um, multi-level marketing scheme yeah. that because before every time I say, oh, I'm in Bitcoin, the first thing somebody will say to me is, oh, that MMM thing. <laughs> and luckily that doesn't really happen anymore. So I think the education thing is definitely working, is getting better. People are starting to understand. And particularly, um, like we said, in this COVID period, people have really I guess, I don't know, educated themselves and really seen what's happening. And yeah. I think for us um, in Bycoins, um, particularly because of this whole NSARS thing, we're really starting to see the value of also Naira pegged stable coins. So we already had created one, which is called NGNT, that we had been using since, I don't know, the beginning of this year. But we're now starting to realize how important that sort of thing is, because if everyone just had NGNT instead of Naira, even though it's the same value, we wouldn't have had any issues around like um, accepting donations and things like that because it's crypto, but like not really crypto. Mm-hmm. So um, I think things like that are also going to become more important and people will start to see the value of things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, and one thing I forgot to add was around education. Like I think Iri mentioned it around during the lockdown, so many people were interested in like crypto trading and at, with us um, at Binance, we have monthly like crypto masterclasses and the amount of people joining every month across Africa increases each time. Like at our last event, we had 5,000 people wow. um, join over, I think, two to three days. So about 2,000 a day. And the, the the thirst for like the knowledge of crypto, it's, it's amazing. And I think that is going to increase a lot more. I think there'll be a lot more education courses, a lot more interest in that. And I would love to see, you know, how blockchain and crypto technology will be added to like Nigerian university syllabuses and secondary school, because I think like mm-hmm. blockchain technology overall has so much potential. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of young people in your countries that want to work and need to work and want, and that's a possibility on the one hand, uh, as a field where you can find a job mm-hmm. in the technology space. And on the other hand, to be able to work for companies abroad and earn money with cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Exactly. Remote work has made that possible. Like you can mm-hmm. literally work for whatever company. And even like me, my role is m- more PR and communications. Um, I don't, you don't have to, I think people always think that with cryptocurrencies, you have to be like some math wizard. Um, but realizing that in every industry, there is room for different talents and skills. You could be a graphic designer working in the crypto space. You could be an engineer. You could be um, a marketing lead. Um, the, yeah, the, or an accountant. Or, or an accountant. Yeah, or, or a podcaster. Really. <laughs> or a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I find that very powerful for people to realize that the opportunities are endless. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, that was great. Thank you very much. 
Um, please tell our listeners, is there any possibility to support you now or maybe in the future? And when or where would they find you on the web? Definitely in the in the near future. We're right now we're really working on thinking about our next projects around women. How do we help women? Is it going to be around inflation? Is it going to be about around safety, unemployment? We're really brainstorming right now. So um, the support we need is people just you know following us and staying tuned. We're um, at feminist underscore co on Twitter and feminist.co on Instagram. Um, and then there's our website, feministcoalition2020.com, where we put updates. Um, but yeah, following us on social media, what I really need from the international community is to just really keep paying attention to what's happening in Nigeria. I feel like, you know, people obviously have issues in their own countries, but I think eyeballs on Nigeria is a really good thing because it keeps keeps bad actors in line. And now everybody has to be, a, be wary of international attention and international outcries. And I think that has really helped us. And I would love to see the international community just, just keep paying attention to what's happening in the country. Yes. Yeah, I would just like to echo that as well, because I think the only reason that we have gotten as far as we have is also because of international attention. And um, when the Nigerian government says something and I don't know, CNN says, oh, well, actually this is incorrect. Yeah. That sort of stuff really helps because it sort of, it validates like our experiences and um, it doesn't allow them to just get away with lying or doing the wrong thing. Mm. Yeah. Great. And then I guess our personal, like um, I'm at Darling Dami on social um, Oh, yeah, I'm at Iri Adirinko. You probably can't spell that. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. There'll be a link somewhere, I hope, because exactly. I know you can't spell it. <laughs> I, I put it. I put all of the links into the, the show notes for this conversation on the Bitcoin and Co. website. Maybe Co. is yeah. for coalition. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I, my eyeballs are definitely on Africa and on your work. And I will also in the future try to uh, spread the word about uh, Africa, Bitcoin, and in general also uh, the feminist movement and the rights uh, for women in the world actually and so i'm really honored that you were here please keep up the good work and thank you thank you you so much thanks so much for joining today to learn more about bitcoin you can find the show notes for this episode on bitcoinundco.com subscribe now to my youtube channel where you can find video recordings of all my interviews and you can get the latest and most interesting stories in bitcoin every friday in your mailbox subscribe to anita's weekly at anita.link forward slash subscribe thanks to my sponsors who make it possible for me to produce the show localbitcoins.com, Shift Crypto with the Bitbox O2 and Coinfinity with the Card Wallet. See you next week when it's time for Bitcoin und Co. Bitcoin und Co. is produced by me, Anita Posch, with the editing help from Claire Saunders. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Thanks for joining. <laughs>